have with those hoods. Inviting me down there on such short notice. Even if I wanted to go, my schedule wouldn't allow it. Four o'clock, wallow in self-pity. 4.30, stare into the abyss. Five o'clock, solve world hunger. Tell no one. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestle with myself. Loathing. I'm booked. Of course, if I want the loathing to nine, I could still be done in time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling, and slip slowly into madness. But what would I wear? Dress, it's a kilt! Sicko! Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you guys could be joining us this morning. What you just saw was How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, by far one of the best Christmas movies of all time. Uh, not the best Christmas movie of all time, but to give you a little... Uh, teaser we'll be seeing the best movie of all time in a couple weeks but uh just as a reminder tonight we have a fantastic um, family event Grinch stole christmas movie night out in the parking lot and as you can tell uh i'm still quarantined at my home however i do plan to join you guys virtually tonight so a little bit of a teaser for you guys hope you guys can make it this evening um quick update for us uh hopefully if all goes well, uh, I will be with you uh, in the service next week. We are at the end of our quarantine, and so far my wife is feeling much better and no other symptoms in the family. So praise God, thank you for the prayers, and keep them going. Um, okay, quick uh, little update here. Had some people wondering, what's with the little poinsettia and the little lumberjack guy? Uh, I was challenged by the staff to decorate, uh, you know, because I, I can't be in the stage at the church. And unfortunately, when you're sort of living uh, in our construction days and we have everything in storage, what you get is a poinsettia and a lumberjack. That's all we have. So, uh, but Merry Christmas to you guys. You know, we're actually in the middle of a series that we're calling Toxic Traditions. And we're talking about some of the Yes, fun traditions that we do. You know, one of the things that we do in our family is we like to go see Christmas lights in our PJs every year. For you and your family, maybe it's uh, someone special puts the, uh, the star or the angel on top of the tree. I know when I was a kid, I started a, a kind of a goofy tradition with my stepdad. And one year I bought him a hammer for Christmas. And I thought, honestly, just to be a punk kid is why I was doing it. I wrapped the hammer... Um, as if he would kind of spray painted it so that the paper went all around every little contour and crevice. And so you look at this and you knew exactly what it was and it looked like a plaid Christmas, you know, hammer. And so once I did it the first year, I just, the tradition took up and I did it every single year, whether I was giving him a shovel or whatever, every year he would look beneath the tree and know exactly what I got him. So traditions can be fun, but what we also know is this time of year can bring out some more painful traditions, some uglier traditions. And what we're talking about in this series is how we can overcome, with God's help, some of those. For example, the one we're talking about today is this dirty little word called shame. And what we know is because of our past, shame can come to the surface during this holiday season. 
And as we're getting going, I thought it might be important to kind of really define what shame is. Uh, if you want to look at your screen, I'm going to put it on there for you guys. Shame is defined as a painful feeling or humiliation or distress caused by a consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Uh, for the sake of this message, what I want you to get out of this is shame is a soul-crushing, okay, listen to me, identity changer. Because of shame in our life, it literally changes a bit of our identity. And I'm guessing for you, if you're like me, you can think back to when you were younger, maybe you were a child or you were a teenager, and you can remember one particular event where you did something wrong, you were probably caught, in my case I was, and then all of a sudden this shame set in. So uh, real quickly for me, one that really sticks out for me is I was in middle school, it was Christmas break, and we were bored out of our minds, we weren't really, you know... Uh, into video games and there wasn't a lot to do back then there was no you know internet I don't know if you can think of those early days um, so what we had the bright idea was there was about seven or eight of us guys and someone had the idea well why don't we start stealing Christmas light bulbs in our neighborhood now I, I don't really know how it started but it gained momentum and then it got really really big really quick and now keep in mind back then if you took out one bulb the whole house went out. You know, today they've done a little bit better with that technology, but it wouldn't take much. And what we realized within the course of a week, we could take our entire neighborhood and black it out. And so every single night after dinner, we'd come together uh, and we were idiots. We dressed up in black, you know, it's a miracle we didn't get shot. And we'd go from house to house and just take a light bulb. And so a whole neighborhood was frustrated. What in the world's going on with our Christmas lights? Uh, and then, unfortunately, one of our own guys ratted us out and told his mom, which then picked up the phone and called all the moms. And I will never forget the time that I came home and I'd been playing football and everything was good and that great. And she called me. She said, Tommy, get in here. And I walked in there and she didn't she didn't discipline me. She didn't, uh, you know, uh, ground me. Uh, she didn't take anything away she used her words as only a mom can do. And what she said was, as she was crying, is she said, I didn't raise you this way. And then she said, I'm ashamed of you. And I will tell you, those words really haunted me, right? That stuck out in my mind. When shame is in our life, it can absolutely kind of begin to change our identity. And what happens is, is we connect the what with the who. And before we get into this, I want to share with you guys that really, that there is a distinct difference between guilt and shame. And it's important we understand the two. So if you look at your screen, I want to share with you guys that guilt is the feeling that I did bad. Right? We understand that we consciously did something wrong. Shame, however, is different because it attaches to our identity and it basically tells us that I am bad, that I'm a bad person. And so maybe for you, maybe you're hiding some kind of a, a secret. Maybe it's a secret addiction um, that no one else knows about. And so what you've done is that shame has changed your identity and you keep telling yourself, well, I'm a horrible person and that's what your identity has become. Maybe for you, you're carrying a lie and you say, well, I'm, I'm bad because I, I did whatever I did. Um, maybe you're looking at something that you know you shouldn't be looking at and it's improper and it's impure. And, and because you're addicted to that, well, all of a sudden your identity changes into telling you I'm a bad person. 
Um, here's a big, big one we see in the church world. Maybe it's your past, and you look to whatever that past might be. Maybe it's a, a drugs or alcohol or addiction or thievery or whatever it might be, and you look at that and you say, if, if they had any idea what my past was, they would never welcome me into this church. Right? So what happens is that shame, before long we put words on it, and it begins to shape our identity. Behavioral therapists actually call um, this specifically something, and they say shape, uh, it actually shapes our identity. And in a book called Letting Go of Shame, authors Ronald and Patricia uh, Potter list the following. Now, these are the most common examples of words that because of something in our life, shame actually puts this label on us. And they made a list of the ones that they see the most with their clients and their patients. And as I read through these, I wonder if any of these are words you hear in your mind. So what about this one? I am defective. I am damaged. I am broken. I am flawed. Boy, I can't tell you. I, I am dirty. I am ugly. I am impure. I am disgusting. I am unlovable. I am weak. I am pitiful. I am insignificant. I am worthless. And I am unwanted. As you can already tell, this is not your typical Christmas message this morning. This is going to get pretty heavy, actually. And it's important that we understand that during, during the Christmas and holiday season, What's really interesting is at a time that we should be celebrating the birth of our Savior, Satan will often come in and whisper these words in your ear, and it bogs us down, and it creates this depression and this heaviness in our life. You know, when I was in college, I took a few classes in biblical counseling, and I remember one particular concept known as shame-based thinking. And here's what's defined. It's defined as when your identity is colored or tainted, by something you did, and you start to embrace a negative view of who you are. And so you take that shame, and you basically you attach it to yourself. And just three quick ideas that they share with us, that the way shame-based thinking actually can impact us, is when you have a shame-based thinking in your life, this is so important, is we can actually fall victim to what's called perfectionism, right? We can fall victim to perfectionism, the way they describe it as, behavioral therapists put it this way, it's when we attempt to silence our shame with an error-free performance and we find it difficult to ever admit failure, right? So uh, surely none of us are like this, right? So we, we try to do something the very best we can and we say, look what I did. I, I did so good. I didn't make any errors. I got a straight A on the test. And somehow it's not just wanting to do good, it's actually trying to kind of erase the shame in our life. I will tell you, for me, the last several years, I have made leaps and bounds uh, with God's help, is I absolutely used to be a lean freak and a control freak. And I was a perfectionist. And what I learned over the years is so many times it was because of something going on in my past that was causing me to make sure everything was kind of organized and exactly in its place. Second thing and this is so, so important, is shame-based thinking, we can actually become critical of ourselves. And then what happens is, because we're critical of ourselves, we actually make life hard on other people, and we're critical of other people. So here's what happens. Behavioral therapists describe it as this. It's when we see our own faults mirrored in other people, and when we see our own faults in other people, 
we become judgmental of them, and then they perceive us, here's the, the, the difference, right, as arrogant, as self-righteous, or just flat-out mean to them or other people. And unfortunately, so many times we do this with those we love the most. And so maybe it's a spouse taking it out on another spouse, when in reality, it's them trying to deal with their own shame. Or maybe it's a parent being extra hard on their children, and it's not even their children's issues, it's them trying to cope with their past and their own stuff. The third one is really interesting, is when we suffer from shame-based thinking, what they say is we can actually sabotage opportunities and outcomes. And here's how they describe this. What we do is we focus on the worst possible outcome, saying this, are you guilty of this, right? Uh, this bad thing is going to happen, and they're never going to like me, and, and they're never going to amount to anything, and uh, we'll never have a good relationship. I mean, have we ever said those words? And through our own self-defeating thoughts, it says we end up sabotaging opportunities and relationships before they even start. And it's not that they just fizzled out. We sabotage them with our negative thinking. And so what's interesting is during Christmas season, it gets so crazy. Maybe maybe you're around the dinner table and your mom lashes out for you for no reason at all. And you're going, wait a minute, where, where did that come from? Right? And what you may not realize is that she's dealing with something that has nothing to do with you. It's her trying to apply one of these three rules, if you will, to overcome her shame. Or maybe your dad goes off and just disengages from everybody and he gets drunk again and you're going, well, there, there it is again. That, that's just dad. And, and what you may not realize is he's coping with a very real uh, internal shame in his life. Uh, maybe it's your in-laws uh, and they're picking on you about the way you raise your kids and it has actuality has nothing to do with you or the way you're parenting, it's actually the way they parented their past, and maybe they have guilt and shame because of mistakes they have made. Or let's just talk about us. Maybe it's us being hypercritical uh, of everybody else. Um, but deep down, it's actually us being critical of ourselves and reflecting this, this inward uh, warped identity um, against somebody else. And so my deepest prayer in this message this morning is that we will learn really what's going on when these things happen, and then we will find healing from God and only through God's grace. And I, my prayer for you actually comes directly out of Isaiah 54, verse 4. Um, now, this is God speaking to Israel, um, and I believe that in many ways this is God speaking directly to us as the living, breathing Word of God. And here's what he says. He says, fear not. Now, let these words sink in. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. He says, don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. So let me, let me read to that one more time, and let's just really feel the power of God saying this. He says, fear not. Right? We, we can drop the fear. And then he says very clearly, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. And I love these words. There is no more disgrace for you. Because you will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Okay, so how is it that if you're a Christ follower, that we can be completely free of this shame that he's talking about? Well, you, you know scripture, if you're a Christ follower. You probably know 1 John 1, 9. And he tells us very clearly this promise. If we confess our faith, our sins, God is faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins. And he says it will purify us from all unrighteousness, right? In other words, the old 
is gone. There's something new. And you've heard some of these verses before. Uh, listen to these. God separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. He says he does not hold them against us anymore. We are free from the penalty of our sins. Uh, it says there is now no, therefore, no condemnation with those who were in Christ Jesus. Uh, our good God forgives us. And it literally says, think about this, that he remembers our sins no more. That when you're going, I, I can... I can remember what I did, you know, two months ago. God's going, I, I don't know what you did. I mean, he literally forgets our sins. I love this one. If anyone calls on him, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we hear those, and, and that sounds great. So here's my big question. If we know what Scripture says, here's the big question this morning. Why do we often continue to live in shame, right? Maybe you're a Christ follower. Maybe you've been a Christ follower for most of your life and you're going on decades and decades. And what happens is, is you know, you know the truth up here. You're going, I, I know those verses. I, I know what God says. I know what the scriptures say, but then somehow we forget to apply it down here in our hearts and in our identity. And the truth is Shame can be a very, very, very hard and painful thing to overcome, and here's why. Because shame, amazingly, actually shapes and takes on our identity. Let, let me give you a great example of this from a story in Scripture. Um, we're going to be looking at the, the Scripture of uh, God's people in the Old Testament, now, God's people were actually slaves for over 400 years, 430 years to be exact. Now, just that tells us right there that if they were in bondage and in slavery for 430 years, then you've got multi-generational families. All they've ever known is living in slavery. So you've got, you've got your great-grandfather and your grandfather and your father and yourself, and they, they were born and they lived and they died, and all they've ever known, their entire identity has been enslaved. And so their mindset is, I am worthless, I am nothing, I am just a slave, I'm not important, my life is not valuable, I'm simply a, a slave. And, and, and maybe you know this story, maybe you saw the movie for that matter, where God picks a man named Moses, and he tells Moses, I want you to go and set my people free. And this is a very abbreviated version of that story. But God sends Moses, and he lets his people go, and then they end up in the wilderness. And if you don't know this about this, the story, what you see over and over and over again, is that they were set free, and yet they continue to act as if they were in bondage. In fact, one commentary puts it this way. Though they were out of Egypt, Egypt was not out of them. Though they were out of slavery, slavery was not out of them. Though they were free in person, they were not free in their hearts. They were a slave to the shame of their identity from their past. It's like it was just stuck in there. And the problem for so many of us is intellectually we know we know that God has set us free. And intellectually, we know that God has created us new. And intellectually and in our minds, we know that God doesn't even remember our past. But in our hearts, it's like we, we, we don't accept that, right? So shame continues to hold us hostage. If you're taking notes this morning, here could absolutely be the problem. It could be that your identity is still based on your past and not on who God says you are.
Let me say that one more time. You're still believing that you're something that God says you're not. Your identity is still based on your past and not who God says you are. It's a shame-based thinking. And what we just learned from behavioral therapists is that what happens is when we live our lives with a shame-based thinking, it actually adapts to our identity and we put labels on us and we take names and we put them in our life. Um, what I want to tell you actually is how this played out in my life. And I'm going to be very, very transparent with you and I'm going to be very careful not to reveal names or anything. Um, but I will share with you that this very much still holds me down in, in many ways. Uh, it, it's really a distorted view of my identity. And really, it, it goes back to my past. Now, I, uh, I come from a broken home. I come from a dysfunctional home, as I, I've shared before. And when I say shattered and dysfunctional, I mean shattered from the top all the way down. And this went on for generations and generations and generations. In fact, when I was in college, I was actually required to do a study of my genealogy and my family tree. And what that revealed to me is, is my broken lines. And I refer to those as three. That's my mom, my dad, and my stepdad, who was really the one who raised me as my, my father. And, and what I learned from that is all of those issues, I'll just put it that way, they all traced back on every single side to an abusive, alcoholic grandfather. And then that just pattern continued and continued and continued all the way down the line. And what that meant for me is with my childhood, I had a father, being my biological father, who really was never there. Um, he, he would show up every five to seven years, maybe spend two or three months in my life, and then he's gone again. And, and that pattern still it happens even now. I mean, it just goes over and over and over. And then I had a stepfather who, while I knew he loved me, he had no idea how to say it and no idea how to show that. And so for me, um, I'll just be honest with you, um, it took me to a very unhealthy place. And um, what I began to learn for me is I very much did, and probably still do if I'm going to be totally honest, have daddy issues, right? Uh, that I was not ever good enough and that I was not lovable and that I didn't deserve love. And um, you add to that the fact that I was abused as a kid, and all of a sudden, it just got got that much worse, you know? Now, I don't, I don't share all of this with you for a sob story. I'm not sharing all of this with you um, so you can say, oh, look, I share this because that story is not that much different than so many people. And I can guarantee you there are people right now who are watching this who have a story worse than I have. And so the truth is we live in a broken world. Uh, none of us are exempt from pain or from heartache or from dysfunctional families or from, you know, life circumstances. We're out here and, and we're going to get hurt in this world. And so I, I guess the question is, is, is what's the solution? And all of this leads up to the solution. And that's what really, really matters. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want to really encourage you guys to jot this down. The only way, the only way to heal from shame is to move the focus. Here's the key from what I am not to who Christ is. Let me say it one more time. The only way to really heal and recover and overcome shame-based thinking is to stop focusing on you and what you've done bad and what bad's happened to you and change your focus to who Christ is, right? So let me put it this way. Whenever you're focused on yourself, I'm going to say this nicely, 
when you focus on yourself, um, you're going to come up short <laughs> every single time. Uh, because we think to ourselves, well, I'm bad, and, and I, I, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And we are so good at listing out all of our sins and all of our issues and all the things that taint us and color our identity. And as we're listing those out, the reason you come up short is because there's a really high probability that a lot of those are real and a lot of those are true. Because the truth is, we, we all suffer from sin. And so when you're saying, I'm a liar, yeah, yeah you probably are. Uh, I, I lust, yeah, yeah, you probably do. And, and I'm addicted, yeah, you probably are. And, and yeah, I said these bad things. I mean, you could just go down and down and down and down and down. We're focused on ourselves and we're going to fall up short every single time. And so what we've got to learn to do is change our focus and focus on who Christ is. And so I want to give you a simple exercise. Well, I say simple. <laughs> it's always kind of a, um, the, I guess the, the little earmark there is, it's easy to say it, not so easy to always do it. But here's a simple exercise that I want to encourage you to, to tackle on your own and then to really you know, make this happen. So to help focus change in our lives, I'm going to put two sentences, and they're going to appear on your screen. And the first one is this, I am not blank. Whatever that might be for you. I don't know what your blank is. I am not blank. And... and the sad reality is those words are already coming to you. It doesn't take long because I listed earlier those negative words and they just, man, they just pop up so good because we are so good at taking those words and sticking them and making more identity, right? Again, shame is saying I am bad. I am blank, whatever it might be for you. Here's a second sentence. Because of Jesus, right, because of Christ, I am what? I am blank. So what you're going to learn to do is take whatever I am, I am not, and, and, and suppress that for a minute, change your focus on who Christ is and what he says you are. So let me give you some ideas. Maybe for you, it's saying, you know what? I'm not bad, right? Because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. And if God can't remember my sins, I'm not going to worry about it. What about this one? I'm not sick. Because of Jesus, I am healed. I'm not disgusting because of Christ. I am loved. I'm not broken. I'm not broken because of Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and I've become new. And if I could just share very transparently for me what is mine, I can tell you very, very clearly that I am not unlovable. Because of Christ, because of what he did on the cross, because of me accepting him as my Lord and Savior, I have been adopted by my Heavenly Father, and I am His Son. And I've got a Father who is always there for me. He is always there when I need Him. He is always there to give me encouragement. And listen, this is the important part. When we remove the focus off of ourselves and put it onto Christ, all of a sudden, we begin to find healing in our lives. And that's the key to overcoming shame in your life is to disconnect your identity from what you've done or what has happened to you and take that and connect it to what God says you are. In fact, as remember the Israelites, 430 years they were in bondage. God sets them free 
And then they just kind of forget, right? They just kind of forget that they've been set free. And so they're still living as if they're held in bondage. And again, they know it up here. They know they're not stuck in Egypt. They know they're not shackled to the wall. But in their heart, they have yet to accept their new identity as God's chosen people and that they are free. And I want to share a scripture with you. And I love the way this is phrased. Um, now, this is years after they're actually free. They just haven't, you know, haven't accepted it yet. Joshua 5, 9. Here's what God says. And I love the way it's phrased. The Lord said to Joshua today. Notice, not tomorrow. Not after six months of therapy. And, and, and not after you've paid your dues. And, and no, no, no. Because our God is good. It says, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. He says, today I've rolled it away. Today, at this moment, there is no longer any shame. By God's power, it is no longer on me. He says, I rolled it away, and the shame is no longer there. And I want you to understand this, and I want you to embrace this, this Christmas season. This is what Christmas is all about. You are not what you did in the past. You are not. Your identity is not based on what others say you are or who others think you are, and you are not what somebody did to you. What are you? Who are you? You are who Christ says you are. And so what I want to do as I, as I wrap up this message is I want to share, I want to share some positive words that you can absolutely connect your identity to. Because if you have given your life to Christ and you are his disciple, this is who you are. Again, what Satan wants to do is attach negative words to our life. And he knows if he can attach our identity to our shame, then we're going to spiral downward. But the Holy Spirit in our life says, no, 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 no. You are a new creation, right? That past is no longer the issue. You are a new creation. And if you are in Christ, this is who you are. If this morning those negative words are just rotating in your mind, my prayer for you is that you will just let this sink into your soul this morning. Listen to this. Scripture says you are free. You are forgiven. You are changed. You are redeemed. You are healed. You are blessed. I love this. You are chosen. That God looked to you and says, I want that one. That's my daughter. That's my son. You are complete you're not lacking anything. You have everything you need with Christ in your life. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God. The old is gone and everything has become new. And so as we close in my prayer for you, I want to go back one more time to the scripture that we started with. Here's what it says. God said, fear not. We're not going to be fearful. He says, you will no longer live in shame. He just owns it. He declares it. No more shame. He says, don't be afraid. And then he says, there is no more disgrace for you. You are loved. You are adored. You are an incredible person. You are God's creation. You are on his favorites list. You are in his family. The Christmas season says, you know what? For me, someone like me that I could feel unlovable from what the world tells me, Jesus comes in and he erases that and says, no, no, no. Let me tell you how important you are to my heavenly father. Let me tell you how cherished you are to my dad. And he took my place on the cross. That's my story and that's your story. Because he loves you and that's what Christmas is. 
Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you so much for who you are. Father, we know that Scripture says you're almighty, you're God, you're all-loving, you're omnipotent, you're all-powerful. You, 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 you know all, you see all, and you are full of grace and mercy and love. And Father, what we know is who you are is because of who we are. And Father, we are good enough, and we are loved, and we are redeemed, and we are holy only because of your Spirit living inside of us. Father, we have a purpose and a plan, and you want to work in us and through us. And Father, we thank you so much that we can call, be called your sons and your daughters, because at the end of our life, that's what matters. Not what we've accomplished in this world or how mean someone is to us, but whether or not we belong to you. Father, we love you. We say Merry Christmas to you. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.